Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Um, so take your Bibles and turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Been doing a deep dive into, uh, into Genesis on Wednesday nights. If you've ever, if you missed any of the studies on Genesis, uh, you can go to the, our YouTube channel, watch the videos there. You can go to the podcast and listen to the podcast there, uh, to see what's going on. Because we're, we're I mean, we're just kind of taking it section by section, uh, bit by bit. Um, and so I, I want to talk about uh, what really what the focus at the end of Genesis two is um, about. Uh, but before I do that, I, I was reading something uh, that uh, Chuck Swindoll, you know, talked about. He's, I, I love Chuck Swindoll. Just a great preacher, great guy. Uh, but he, he talked about his marriage, and he, he was talking about after he was married for 10 years, he, he became aware of the value, I guess you could say, of being, of, and gratefulness of the differences between his wife and himself. Um, he, he wrote about how he was often irritated that she didn't view things ex exactly as he did. Those of you who are married, did, does that ever happen to you that your spouse doesn't see things the same exact way that you do? I don't know what... <laughs> but he says, you know, she wasn't argumentative, only expressive of her honest feelings. I like that. Way to cover himself. Uh, <laughs> but he admits, because, you know, being a young husband and a young Christian at the time, that he, he took it as a lack of submission, and, and the boy made the mistake of telling her so. Don't do that. <laughs> and so time and time again, they would lock horns in, until God finally got a hold of him and, and showed him from... You know, the passage we're going to really be studying tonight, that his wife was different from him because she made, he made her that way and she was valuable to him because of those differences. She was not designed to just be an echo chamber. She was designed to be a counterpart, a necessary and needed individual to help him become all that God wanted him to to be. And, and, and so God you, will use a spouse as his tool of sanctification. And it was kind of, it was, it, that part was meant to be. And that's part of, uh, that was part of being the imagers. God created his imagers to be two different genders, and yet they would both be his imagers. They would both be equal. They both would be co-heirs, and the two would work together um, because they were made for each other. Now, we, we get, you know, chapter 1 of Genesis is the kind of preview, and then Genesis 2 gets a little bit deeper, but when you look in verses 26 through 28 in Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, 
be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so both male and female are made in the image of God, both male and female. We're created to subdue and have dominion over the earth. And, you know, this portion then of the creation story is revisited in more detail in chapter 2, the first part of, you know, chapter 2, God forms man. And now, um, we'll begin in, in verse 18, in chapter 2, and read to the, to the end of the chapter. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, for man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So again, God, he creates the earth and he creates all the animals. He, you know, he does everything that he does to form the earth. He originally made it formless and void. And then he, he took that and, and he formed it and he filled it. And he took a geographic location and named it Eden. And he placed a garden within Eden, and then he created man from the dirt, and he placed the man in the garden where the man was to start tending the earth, and from this garden is where mankind would then spread and begin the, the work of subduing and taking dominion over the earth. But after placing man there in this garden, you know, and after everything that God has said and after everything that God had done, God makes a surprising declaration. He said that it is not good for man to be alone. Now, wait a minute. Now, that's the first time that God said something was not good. I mean, throughout all those days of creation, he said this was good, that was good, this other thing was good, the light was good. The sea was good, the land was good, the birds were good, all, this, all these animals were good, everything, everything was good. And then even on the last day, he declared everything was very good. Well, you know, yeah, that's at the end of everything. We kind of, you know, hit the rewind button a little bit, go back to day six. He's saying all these things are, are good, and all of a sudden he says there's something that is not good, meaning that it's not complete, not that it was evil. It's just that it, things aren't done yet. It wasn't complete for his purposes. There was more to God's work of creation in order for creation to be made according to his plan. The part that was not good was that man was alone. 
Now, God had created this beautiful environment. I mean, you know, when you think of the perfect place, we say it's, it's the Garden of Eden. You know, it's like the Garden of Eden. We think of it being as, like a perfect place. And mankind, Adam, he was placed in the garden to do work that had purpose. And yet something was still off. There was still more to be done. God knew that man should not be alone. It was not good for man to be alone. But before God did something to change that not good into good, he uh, wanted to give man himself, he wanted to give Adam himself a chance to make the same realization. God wanted Adam to figure out that it was not good for him to be alone. Because mankind was not created to be isolated, mankind is created to have relationships of various sorts. And so God declares, it's not good for man to be alone, I'm going to make a helper for him. God would give to man someone who would aid him and support him in fulfilling his purpose. But here's the thing, not just any helper would do. It's not like, well, you know, let me just find something to f kind of fill the void, go, go help the boy out. It, it, the ESV now says that the helper, I'm going to make a helper that is fit for man. It literally means I'm going to make a helper that corresponds with man. In a sense, the helper would be the missing jigsaw puzzle piece that would make man the whole. The helper would need to be someone who corresponded to man in every way, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And mankind would need to realize the importance of this. Not just any helper would do. Man needed a specific God-given helper. So, in an initial act of subduing and having dominion, because that's what man is for, the animals are brought before Adam so that he could name them. That is an act of authority. Adam, you are my imager. You are to subdue and have domain over this earth. And your first act of, of this subduing and this domaining, or you know, whatever the verb is, uh, is going to be you're going to name the animals because you're going to have charge over them. You're going to have stewardship over these animals. And so, you need to, so start naming them. So they come before Adam, and he starts naming them. Remember, they're all made according to their kind. But as Adam is doing this work of naming these animals, he becomes aware of two things as he's naming the animals. The first thing that Adam uh, realizes is that, well, you know what? none of these animals correspond to him. None of them are his helper. None of them fit him in any sense. None of them can make him complete. There is no helper for mankind amongst the animal world. But then Adam, you know, he may be newly created, but he, he's smart. He... he he might be a little slow on the uptake for a little bit, but he gets it. There's a second thing that he realizes. 
he realizes all the animals have partners. Did you, did you ever think about that? I mean, did you, did you just think that because only Adam was created that only male animals were created? No, God had already created male and female animals. And so as the animals are brought before them, he notices, hey, I'm going to call you an elephant. There's two of you. They're partners. And they correspond with one another. You know, it's described in chapter 1 that the animals are made after their kind. And Adam, he notices, well, here's one gendered elephant and here's another gendered elephant. And, you know, there, there's slight differences between them, but they're of the same kind and they correspond with one another. And Adam realizes he doesn't have a partner like that. I don't have someone who corresponds to me like that. He doesn't have someone of his kind. He doesn't have the helper that he needs. Well, now that Adam has that realization, God goes to work. You'll notice woman is not made from the ground like the rest of the animals and even man himself. Woman is made from man. What, what's depicted there is, is the work of a, of a builder. God is acting as a builder. He, he's fashioning woman from the raw materials that he takes from man. You know, I, we, we like to say that it's from a rib, but you know, the, the word really means just the, the whole area. It's just taken, he took just a hunk, hunk of man and formed the woman from that. Woman literally was made for man and from man. As one author states it, the woman was taken from the man's side to show that she was the same substance as the man and to underscore the unity of the human family having one source. And you're probably familiar with another quote that is, you know, quite often that given when, you know, you look at Genesis 2. It's given from the Puritan preacher and commentator Matthew Henry. And he makes this observation. Women were created from the rib of man to be beside him not from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, near to his heart to be loved by him. God puts a deep sleep on man. He takes the flesh. He forms woman. He awakens the man. And now God presents the woman to the man like someone presenting a gift. Or better yet, he presents the woman to the man like a father presents the bride to the groom. And that's really what it is here. Here's the first wedding, so to speak. And, and, and so now Adam has one more name to give. You know, he realizes that woman is special. Woman is part of him. He states that she is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and therefore he names her woman because she is taken out of man. And now the basis of human marriage is given. 
And it's a basis that is confirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because whenever Christ speaks of marriage, he quotes right here. It literally says that a man, a male, leaves his father and mother to hold fast to his woman, to his female. You can't change that definition because it's right there. <laughs> and then, oh, well, you know, Jesus, he never spoke against the... Guess what? Jesus quoted this. And yes, okay, so here in Genesis, it's written, it's written in Hebrew, and, it's, and, and in the New Testament, it's written in Greek. Guess what the New Testament translation says? Therefore, a male shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his female. You can't change that. It's right there. Now, here we are at the creation of this relationship. Everything is perfect. Everything now is very good, according to God's assessment, according because of, for what he created things for. It is very good. A perfect realm, perfect world, perfect people. And then the fall happened. And nothing was perfect after that. And, you know, we'll, we'll see that in further studies. And, and so this means a few things to this relationship that was made. One, there would be strife in the marriage relationship. I, I mean, I know nobody here who's married ever has strife in their marriage. Right? Of course, there's going to be strife, and we're going to see that in the study as we study further. But then, something else changed. Marriage was not the ideal for everybody. Not every human would seek or find or need a mate. Paul in 1 Corinthians said that actually the ideal is not to have a mate so you don't get bogged down in the cares of the world so you can serve the Lord freely. But it's also recognized that not everybody can live that way. I mean, people have a natural God-given desire and it's better to focus them in the God-given ways, the God-given parameters for those desires. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.32 uh, and on from there, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. You know, and he, he would go on in describing this, and he would say, you know what, it it's not a sin to get married. It's not a sin to not get married. Just, you know, here's just the reality of things. This is just the reality of things. And Jesus himself said that some people now are given the ability to live in singleness. 
but it's not for everyone. You live according to the way that God made you. You know, he was talking in Matthew 19 about marriage and about divorce and, and, and things like that. And, and, you know, and he says things like, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Well, after, you know, he, he talked about marriage and, and divorce and things like that, the disciples said to him, well, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus said to them, well, not everyone can receive this saying but only to those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for this, or who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But let the one who is able receive this, you know, receive it. You know, not, every, not everyone is made to be married. Not everyone's married, made not to be married. You, you, you do whatever God created you to do. I mean, you know, Paul, Jesus, if you can stay single, you can serve the Lord without anxiety about these other things, awesome, great. If, if you can't and you, you get married, great. You know, either way. Marriage is good. Marriage is holy. It's the first human relationship that's created by God. So yes, it has a special significance, and it has such a special significance that Paul uses it as a picture of the relationship between Christ and and his church, just as the woman came from man, the church comes from Christ and is built up from him. And, and so, yeah, obviously, you know, marriage has an important part here in Scripture. Therefore, you know what? It's better not, better not try to redefine it. I mean, you know, when God, I mean, the second chapter of his word, he defines finds it and that definition is carried throughout the entire book yeah you think you better leave that alone god said what he said and so it's best not to redefine what he said and so if you're married love your spouse as christ loved the church I know, you know, we, we, that's, Paul gives that charge to the men, but I mean, it's for everyone. Love, love your spouse as Christ loved the church. Respect one another. Encourage one another. Push one another toward the Lord. Be helpers to one another. If you're single, serve the Lord with gladness. Be anxious about the things of the Lord what he has for you in life, in this stage of life. But either way, we are his imagers. Male, female, we are his imagers. He created us to serve on this earth. He now, you know, I mean, the earth is all sorts of messed up. Sin is a reality. He calls us now to advance his kingdom. The, I've said it in weeks past. It is the new version of subduing and having dominion. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can bring others under the authority of Christ and under the Father. And since marriage is so important to God, let's not waver in what it is that, how it is that he defined it. Let's not give in to a culture 
that says, well, you know what? You can define anything as you want it to be. You can create your own reality. Well, no, not when, not when God specifically says this is reality. And hold fast to that. It'd just be easy to kind of give up, throw our hands up in the air and say, hmm. It's not worth the fight. It is very much worth the fight. If we allow marriage to be redefined and re-imaged, it is marring the picture of Christ's relationship to the church. And that's marring the gospel itself. Christ died for his church. The bridegroom died for the bride. The man died for the bride, the female. And so let us hold fast to that and let us, let, let us rejoice that we are his bride. And that is a wonderful picture of the relationship that we have with him. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.